We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. This podcast episode is brought to you by Coors Light. These days, everything is go, go, go. It's nonstop hustle all the time. Work, friends, family expect you to be on 24-7. Well, sometimes you just need to reach for a Coors Light because it's made to chill. Coors Light is cold lagered, cold filtered, and cold packaged. It's as crisp and refreshing as the Colorado Rockies. It is literally made to chill. Coors Light is the one I choose when I need to unwind. So when you want to hit reset, reach for the beer that's made to chill. Get Coors Light in the new look delivered straight to your door with Drizzly or Instacart. Celebrate responsibly. Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado. Microsoft Teams is helping a bicycle company reinvent the way that they work. We make low-maintenance bicycles for everyday riders. Once the pandemic hit, we had nobody coming into the showroom. So we started doing virtual visits via Microsoft Teams. We're able to see two or threefold the amount of customers we used to be able to see. All of a sudden, we could open up our showroom to customers around the world. I really think it's going to set a standard for retail moving forward. Learn more at Microsoft.com slash Teams. Welcome to another edition of the Rotowire College Football Podcast. Nick Whalen back with John McKechnie. It's Tuesday, July 7th. John, uh, we got Ravens football on the TV in the studio. It's like 93 degrees out for the 15th day in a row in Madison. I watched Inception this morning. It was Whoa. on AMC. Um, I, I could not be more ready to talk college football. And I got to say, um, you know, a little peek behind the curtain uh, for the listeners. This is the tannest combined that these two hosts have oh, ever yeah. been. Uh, you hold up your end of that bargain uh, extremely well every year. Mm-hmm. Uh, you bring the tan game. Thank you. Uh, but, you know, I, uh, I got out in the sun this past week. And, oh, uh, boy, did you. And look at me now. I'm like a go- bronze god now. So it's a, it's a new lifestyle for me. 
I feel like you've spent more time on the water than anyone I know over the last two weeks. Um, I can't get it's, enough. It's of just it. like every two hours, I'm getting a Snapchat of you on a boat, on a on a beach, at a campfire that's right next to the water. Um, the connections, the inroads that you've made to people who either own a boat or live on the lakes in Madison has been really impressive. I know, and it, it's been a. a uh, a quick come up in that regard. Uh, you know, I feel I felt like for years I would I would be looking at other people's snaps where right. they were there on boats. Like, you always had a lot of like potential boat energy, and I think now you <laughs> right? kind of you finally converted it to kinetic boat energy. Finally, yeah, finally got there, and buddy, yeah, I'm I'm going for it, and it <laughs> it feels good, feels right. I was I was out in the in the lake on Saturday. Um, my friend's dock. Uh, uh, there was a lot of seaweed that I had to mm. battle through, but you yeah. know, I, I felt it like it was still worth it. Yeah, I, I spent this past weekend up at, at uh, my girlfriend's cabin in the Shawano, Wisconsin area. So I, too, spent a lot of time on the water, and you know, that's where the tan's coming from. So, um, you know, we're always looking to improve. So, that's you right. know, you kind of take it. You take it a day at a time, a week at a time, and, you know, hopefully we can kind of ramp things up and our programs, our tanning programs, where we want to be right. at the end I, of August. As a podcast, that's one of the, you know, kind of like mm-hmm. the cornerstones from which you want to build. Exactly. So um, it was something that... Uh, I wasn't holding up my end of the bargain last season, and we, we've already fixed it uh, one and a half episodes in. Yeah, it's about accountability. Always has been. That's right. So speaking of foundation pieces, uh, Oklahoma gets a, a major commitment uh, earlier this week or over the weekend, I guess, technically from Caleb Williams, the number one dual threat passer in the class of 2021. Um, continues to be strange to evaluate players and looking at the graduating classes like it used to seem crazy that kids were graduating high school in like 2015 and then 2018 and now 2021 seems even more surreal for for people like us who graduated you know circa 2010 um but this is a major commitment for a team that's already loaded Mm -hmm. at quarterback um spencer rattler is a true sophomore correct um so williams of course won't be on campus until next year but um you know obviously the the heir apparent to to spencer rattler or whatever happens at that quarterback position for Oklahoma over the next couple of years. He's actually from the high school that you graduated from in D.C. Am I, am I wrong? That is correct. Okay. Uh, so he's kind of like the the pride of, of Gonzaga yeah. College but High Kekne School U. there in D.C. So, I mean, like, we we had some, you know, players go to D1 for, you know, like usually like maybe one guy per class. And like Kevin Hogan w- was there when I was there. And he was great great quarterback at Stanford. But uh, never anybody like this. Like this is, um, you know, the guy that's headlining the Elite Eleven. You know, the guy that's getting all the twenty four seven and rivals coverage. And where is he going to be? Oh, we got mm-hmm. the crystal ball from our like top elite uh, recruiting analyst type of guys. Like this is just a totally different uh, beast than than what I've ever seen from from that high school. And um, you know, it it like. It started from a couple of years ago where he wasn't just on varsity as a freshman, but like the starting quarterback. And I don't think you were even allowed to make varsity as a freshman when I when I was at when I was there. So uh, just that's just mind boggling to me. And it just continued on. He had like the the viral uh, hail mary to beat Dematha in the in the WCAC championship uh, two falls ago. Um, didn't quite get there this past year. Who knows what's going to happen uh, with the season this year, but. This guy really does look like a you know a future of the program type of guy, and and twenty four seven has him you know they have like the all time recruiting yeah. ranks, so he is at like one hundred two, one hundred two, yeah, uh, same as uh, Jacob Eason and, and Matthew Stafford, um, so same level of, of guy, and that that's pretty impressive uh, company to be linked to, especially when, when you're talking uh, recruiting background. Uh, Eason obviously mm-hmm. didn't pan out quite as as well as the recruiting profile would suggest, but um, either way. 
Uh, yeah, Williams looks like he's going to be the real deal. And, and the question now becomes when he gets on campus and Rattler's the junior, um, is there a quarterback competition? Is that is that spoken for? I imagine that Rattler will just put up such good numbers just based on the system and, and the weapons that Oklahoma has that he would be lock, locked into the starting role. It would really take mm-hmm. like a Herculean effort from Williams, but you can't count out that possibility right. either when you have a quarterback of that ilk. So a few things. One, I think you and I went to very different high schools. Uh, we had a kid go D2 once. That was a very big deal. Mm-hmm. That was like major, major news for many months in the town. I think he went to some school in Illinois. Uh, never, I don't think, to my knowledge, I've ever had a player go D1 or get anywhere close to that. Um, so that's point number one. Point number two, like, like you just said, we're starting to see this more and more over the last four and five, four or five years where it's it almost seems like top prospects you know the cream of the crop quarterback prospects especially and and running backs to some degree but but quarterbacks i think have have garnered the most attention just kind of disregarding the depth chart and not you know kind of operating their recruiting as if whatever school they go to they're going to start when they want to start and for some guys it's worked out you know justin fields Mm -hmm. maybe not uh, at georgia Uh, obviously it has at ohio state um but we're, we're seeing guys just kind of show up on campus and be prepared to jump into these quarterback competitions that in the past, I feel like you would see recruits maybe plan a little more for what the projected depth chart would be by the time they're on campus. Whereas now a lot of these guys, I don't know if they just have the increased confidence level or if it's more exposure at a younger age. It seems like guys are more willing to jump into a competition right away, even if the guy they're going against was, you know, in his day, you know, almost equally as good of a recruit. Yeah, exactly. So yeah, the, we are seeing uh, these guys just simply not be gun shy about that anymore. Mm-hmm. And it's, um, yeah, it's it's definitely changed the the way that you can kind of project uh, recruiting classes, rounding out and and teams. Uh, sometimes it it works out for them if if, uh, if they stack a couple of highly recruited uh, quarterbacks onto the roster. But there's so much on like the on the coaching side to the management of the egos at the quarterback position because you know if if a kid comes in with that five star billing and it's like kind of told to him like hey like you're probably not going to start this year. Like, how do they take that? Like, w- what kind of promises do you make mm-hmm. uh, down the line? And, and will that cost you in the end? I mean, you look at, um, you know, obviously Georgia had that, had that problem with Justin Fields. And, you know, how do you move past or, or surpass Jake Fromm on that depth chart when he led the team to an SEC title as, as a true freshman and, and was a good uh, quarterback, obviously limited ceiling-wise compared to Justin Fields. Or like, um, you know, now you look at, even Wisconsin. Wisconsin has a five-star quarterback on campus right now that I feel like people are, are ready to see. Uh, but, you know, Cohn did a fine enough Jack job. Jack Cohn's just too year. good. He's <laughs> too dominant. Like, so, so you know, on, on the Chris side, like, that, that's like a political headache that he mm-hmm. has to deal with now. So there, there is the need. You cannot win a national championship or go – uh, or com- expect to compete for one without an elite quarterback, in my mind. Um, but with that, you also just have to – manage the the egos that that come with it on your roster because like you said the the five star that's coming in is going to be competing against a guy that probably had that same recruiting mindset and billing just a year or two before right uh in other recruiting news kansas has landed a four-star receiver in the class of 2021 keon coleman um yeah outside the top 250 barely uh overall but Shocking, nonetheless, to see Kansas and Les Miles getting some wins yeah, on the Matt, recruiting trip. Matt Hatter. This is their eighth four-star recruit ever uh, since 247 has tracked this stuff. So, 
you know, they're making incremental gains. You know, I think their class of 2020 is ranked inside the top 60. They typically sit in like the 70 to 80 range, which honestly is a little bit higher <laughs> than I would have thought. But, mm-hmm. you know, considering the conference that they play in, still not great. Uh, but their 2020 class, like I said, is 57th and 2021 currently projected at 45th. So, you know, not a major come up uh, on the recruiting trail, but still uh, incremental improvements for a program that in the first time for the first time since peak Mark Mangino, peak Todd Reesing <laughs> finally seems to be moving in I the right to direction. Leave. Yeah, I keep to leave. Um, yeah, I mean, uh, it all it all starts. You're you have to start somewhere, especially when you're a program like Kansas, and you can't really realistically expect to in this current landscape to ever really compete for a Big Twelve title. But you can you can dream on being competitive, and and uh, Kansas doesn't have a great in state advantage to to help make that happen. But um, you know, if you have a guy like Les Miles that is familiar with recruiting and, and can, you know, kind of work the fringes a little bit and, and find a way to sell a kid on Kansas, then, you know, more power to him. So uh, I don't know if this ends up being something where they stack uh, a couple more four stars onto this class, but if they can start to just build classes with like one or two four stars and like all reasonably highly regarded right. three stars and you, and you bring in a good volume of them and you get some good competition and some roster churning, um, then that's, that's obviously a positive thing. And you can, you can start to work your way out of the basement, but uh, Kansas obviously has their, their work cut out mm-hmm. for them in that sense. Yeah. I mean, teams like Wisconsin have made a living off of that one or two four stars and then just a ton of three stars and draft and develop, you know basically just develop those guys over the course of four or five years get a redshirt program going um i kansas like you said i agree kansas is never going to become a national power but at the same time they found ways to recruit extremely effectively on the basketball side of things and it's not like kansas is is any more of a hotbed for basketball talent than it is for football so i i think it's a little bit inexcusable that they've been as bad as they have like they they never will be a power uh nationally or probably even in the big 12 but they shouldn't be a team that's going like one and 11 every year either. Yeah, no, that that's definitely fair. I mean, um, yeah, it's not like that school is wanting for, for financials because of, you know, the, the money that like the basketball program brings in. So yeah, right. they, they should uh, be able to be somewhat respectable, but maybe they just put so much of their resources towards that basketball program yeah. that it, it just ends up panning out that way one way or the other. But like, you know, UNC has a respectable football program yeah. as we talked about now and that you know that's obviously a basketball school uh, i mean even duke duke, duke has been, been a much decent, better program than yeah. kansas it's not even close yeah they, you know with david cutcliffe they had a you know bowl game against a&m not that long ago that was on new year's eve like yeah so that there's ways to to work your way up you just had you have mm-hmm. to put in the work step one hire less miles so i'm looking at that list that you mentioned when we were talking about caleb williams of the 247 all-time recruits Unsurprisingly, Jadavian Clowney is at number one. Robert Kemdiche at number two. This is not like an overly star-studded list in terms of how these guys actually turned out. Rashawn Gary, three. Vince Young, four. Ernie Sims, owner of the greatest 247 default photo of all time. (laughs) Number five, Ronald Powell of Florida, class of 2010. Honestly, don't remember him at all. I don't know what happened with him. Um, Trevor Lawrence, seven. DGB, Doriel Green-Beckham. Eight, Justin Fields nine, and DJ Williams uh, back in two thousand, the linebacker uh, who, of course, went to Miami, rounds out the top ten, and then Brock Berlin, of course, right there at number eleven. Of course, but of course. not a lot of like future NFL superstars as you scroll up and down this list. A lot of guys who you almost remember more for being a recruit than 
what their career ended up being both in college and in the NFL. You know, like, I think Inkem Dice is like the ultimate guy like that, where obviously he was good at Ole Miss, but I still, even like by the time he was done playing there, I still thought of him as like, oh, that's the number one overall recruit yes. guy. Like that's his reputation still. Like, and I, I still believe in him just because of that. And there's, that, that applies to other sports too. There's plenty of NBA players. Gerald Green is like 36 years old and still making a living off of being a top five guy when he was in high school. Yeah, I mean, he can, he can dunk, right? So, or he, he sure can dunk can. really well. But yeah, Kamdiche, yeah, that um, Rashawn Gary too, like two guys that like coming out of high school, just like they had the NFL level athleticism. Yep. Uh, it's just the, the rest of their game never really developed to the way that uh, people would expect. And maybe Kamdiche wasn't used the right way at, at Ole Miss and he had some off the field stuff, but I, yeah, I am still like convinced that like had things in a, in a parallel universe occurred where he still had those tools that he would have been mm-hmm. an absolutely lights out uh, player at in college and at, at the NFL level. Rashawn Gary, I just still don't understand how he has all of those tools and just cannot have like a, a single lick of production. Like, you know, during his draft process, they're like, well, like, you know, you look at his combine, look at all this and that and look, look where they played him. And then it's like, well, why does he have just like no production on this Michigan defense like whatsoever like it why are you getting in like an edge guy that just eats up blocks by gets like tied up by tight ends like what is what is this that's exactly how you know us being in Wisconsin a lot of people were very critical of the Packers making that pick last year and like I for the most part forgot he was even on the roster like he made no impact He he was hurt on and off but it was a lot like Michigan where you would hear about him making plays in practice you would hear about the potential of what he can do really never actually put it together in any consistent manner nope and it it, you know you can't only scout via the box score but it's like Mm -hmm. man you gotta you gotta have a little something there to to you know have have as like a production threshold and he's not he's not there at all man there are some names on this list let me tell you julio jones uh the numbering is kind of off on this list but he comes in around the 30th best prospect ever bryce brown have not heard that name in a while. Former Eagle, I believe. That's right. He had, he had that Monday night game for yes. the Eagles where he just absolutely <laughs> went off. Uh, Kevin Jones, the Virginia Tech running back, uh, was the 34th best prospect ever. Ted Ginn was 35. Percy Harvin, 39. Chantrell Henderson. Remember hearing Chantrell a lot about him at Miami. Yes. Uh, he's still bouncing around the NFL, I believe. Charles Rogers was inside the top 50 um i mean we could we could go go on and on brody croyle the 58th best prospect ever a better prospect than Najee harris maybe <laughs> maybe like number one or number two in quarterback hair though oh yeah like uh, from his, rainbow his city alabama, alabama flip is it just incredible did he kind of start that he might have yeah he might have been the pioneer yeah uh, i mean I, I don't know how what alabama players were looking like in the 90s but i mean he comes in in 2001 and you would think kind of sets the stage for then john parker wilson the white yeah the john parker wilson look um if you're going to be a white alabama quarterback that's the mold yes i mean like i don't know what jacob coker had going on when he was at florida state but like the second he like crossed the state line and into alabama like his hair just like shifted into the lego (laughs) flip what's happening to me no it's like it it could just be like a really expensive toupee that like nick nick saban like bestows on the head of the quarterback (laughs) there's a big ceremony a a coronation it's like a you know those like under armor skull caps that people used to wear you just (laughs) kind of screw it into your head and it's just part of the helmet that's right (laughs) and it always looks flawless even when you take your helmet off yeah so speaking of alabama um ohio state alabama will play a home and home 
in 2027, 28. This isn't exactly breaking news. This this was announced initially uh, kind of in the middle of June, but obviously there was a lot going on uh, in the world of, of sports and college football at that time. So I, I feel like it kind of got glossed over and it's easy to push things like this aside, especially when you see the date 27, 28, you're like, okay, remind me again in five years and then I'll start to get excited. Uh, but that's, I remember thinking that about Wisconsin Notre Dame when that was first announced. And here we are. Who knows if that's going to happen now based on everything that's going on? But it comes pretty quickly. And this one certainly will as well. Obviously, this is a great matchup. You know, two of the four most successful programs of the last 15, 20 years. My question to you which other home and homes would you most want to see? And I, it's a great question, and I think luckily by virtue of this being the playoff era, uh, we've started to see more teams willing to take that risk, especially among like the upper echelon of programs where it's like, yeah, if we play early on in the season against a great opponent then and we take the loss, you know, say we're, we're on the road that for that particular year of the home and home and we take the L, like we can still find our way into the playoff because we can convince the committee that, you know, we, we accepted the challenge. We went mm-hmm. away from our home stadium. We didn't even go neutral. Yeah. And, and we, you know, we, we went for it. And uh, I love also just touching on the, on the Bama Ohio state one for a second. I, I did love just the general, uh, sentiment like leaking out of the state of Ohio, like you know, they won't come up here in November, though. But, but it's like it's like okay. yo, chill. Um, <laughs> um, but yeah. I, I was I was looking at at that a little bit, and um, again, my my thought about teams being more willing to to engage in these uh, home and homes, and we're starting to see the ones that were formulated in the very very nascent stages of the college football playoff era, like Texas and Michigan was one that came to mind for me. And then I I looked it up just to like, see if there was one on the books and they had one, um, agreed upon in 2014. So like pretty early on into the, into this, like the first year of it, they agreed that in 2024, they're going to start one up. So I thought the Texas, Michigan would have been a great one. Glad to see that that's coming back. Um, UGA, Oklahoma, uh, Oklahoma and UGA, I don't think it played other than the Rose bowl, like ever in their histories, if I, if I remember correctly. Um, so that'll be fun. Um, I think Florida and Ohio State would also be a great home yes. and home to see. I, I'm just I'm all about uh, big SEC and big Big Ten teams, like yep. just battling it out. And I, I'm a little bit less interested in like seeing you at the USC's of the world because USC will occasionally you know go east of the Mississippi and mm-hmm. you know just get absolutely smashed by Alabama. I think that's on the books for for this year again. Maybe yes, it if, is. if that still goes. That's a neutral site though. In okay. Arlington. Okay. Um, so th- those type of games, and then um, this this is more just like a, a general commentary. But uh, Texas Texas A and M needs to come back as well because I know those schools hate each other, and like they they they're both like the biggest like hold me back type of guys. It, it, when there's any discussion about that rivalry, it's like, oh yeah, well, you know, we'll get you. It's just the red tape. Uh, what we can't play you right now, but uh, if we could, we would totally kick your, you know what? So um, I would love to see those the trash talking in that state uh, get actually uh, put on the field. That would that would be nice to see. So you mentioned uh, Alabama USC this season. Alabama has home and homes scheduled with major programs from 2020 all the way through 2035 at this point. So oh my God. next season they'll they'll open up against Miami um, at the at the new stadium in Atlanta. 
that'll be you know i assume that what do they call it the chick-fil-a kickoff game it's september 4th so yep. early enough that i assume that'll be the big one um they they have a home and home in wisconsin in 24 25 florida state 25 26 west virginia notre dame georgia tech oklahoma arizona and virginia tech is on the books for 2034 and 2035 love that so that that'll be that'll be a good time uh, you know you can never take it away from bama as far as the what their scheduling goes like mm-hmm. that they, they're not afraid to play anybody i don't care that they like schedule a cupcake in, in november everybody else does so they're, they're not afraid, afraid to go out to tucson and play arizona who knows what that program's going to look like in 2033 that's a gamble who knows what nick saban's going to look yeah, like right. in 2033 they're <laughs> just going to have like the, the futurama like head in a jar <laughs> coaching on a, a five foot five body right um so I, I think when it's when you're scheduling a home and home, and I, I don't even care if you want to come up with some that are that are neutral site. You know, like I think um, Notre Dame Wisconsin is technically a home and home. Somehow the game that's supposed to be at Lambeau this year is considered a home game for Notre Dame, and then the game at Soldier Field in Chicago next year is a home game for Wisconsin. I don't know how that adds up whatsoever, but nope. they call it a home and home despite both games being technically at a neutral site. I think the most important thing if you're scheduling these and and admittedly if you're scheduling them 12 14 years in advance you don't know what the program's going to look like but it's a lot more fun when the programs are almost at the exact same level you know um like for example bama usc probably sounded awesome when they scheduled it back in who knows when 2011 or 12 or something it's not quite as appealing now you know usc even though that they've basically done all they can to run that program into the ground is still a pretty good program because it's usc and programs like that can only sink so low but it's awesome when they're both on the same level. And I think, again, you know, the, this Alabama-Ohio State series isn't for another seven years, but I think we'd both be pretty surprised if either of those programs have significantly fallen off at that time. Yeah, the the only thing that I could see having a negative impact on one of those two programs uh, would be Saban stepping away sometime b- b- before yeah. that happens. And yes, of course, the, the tattoo downfall. Um no, it seems like Ryan Day is is the real deal there for for Ohio State, and he's young, so he should be there. Um, but yeah, we'll we'll have to see what what Alabama's succession plan looks like po- post Saban, uh, because you got to figure he he is at least five more years in in him, I, I believe. He's but sneaky old. He is, he is, and uh, that's such a grueling, grinding job. And like he's up for it. Like I don't think he is interested in doing anything else. Like w- when he has more than like a week off, he yeah. goes stir crazy. So like he wants to do this pretty much un- until he can't. It's just you know you have to ask when when that day um, might be and and what Alabama wants to do because I don't. If you asked me like three, four, five years ago, I'd have been like, oh, of course, like it's going to be Dabo Swinney being there. But I don't think yeah. that I don't think he's ever leaving Clemson. Um, I don't think he has the need to like be um, like kind of verified by going back to Alabama or, or anything like that. Like he's already got his, you know, he's set. like he yeah, he's well known as one of the best college football coaches ever, at least of the modern era already. He doesn't need to go to Alabama to get validated for that. Um, so I think, you know, I, th- I would guess that Mario Cristobal would be the number one on the wish list right now, but we'll see what it looks like in a couple of years. But Cristobal with, with mm-hmm. a little Alabama tie to him uh, could be the, the one that stands out the most. So the matchups that I had on my list, Texas, USC, two programs that kind of are on the same level yeah. right now and kind of have been since they, they met in that iconic game. And was it, was it technically 05 or 06? I think it was the 05 it season. 05 season, 06. 06. Yep. Okay. They've followed remarkably similar trajectories. Both have been declared back upwards of 10 times and then immediately tripped over themselves. 
Um, and you get the Joe Tess back treatment, right. you know. <laughs> it's the kiss of death, really. Um, but I, I think that would be that's a fun series no matter what. Games that have, and, and maybe for, for people who like aren't our age, maybe that game doesn't register quite as much. Although that one is such an exception that I think it doesn't matter if you were 12 or 55 at that time, you remember that game. Um, but another one in that vein, and this is going back even a little bit further, Miami, Nebraska, I mean, was a, a pretty unlikely, but consistent rivalry, you know, through the the nineties and into the early two thousands, both of those programs have kind of fallen off Nebraska, maybe even a little bit more so than Miami, um, Wisconsin, Notre Dame, obviously this is happening. I, I think that's actually a great matchup. I was I trying to that. think of another one for Wisconsin and, you know, at, you could say like, I don't know if there's an sec team that really you would, you would feel is kind of like a mini rival of Wisconsin right now. Right. Alabama is obviously too good. LSU is probably too good. Um, although they, they did play LSU at, um, in a home and home a few, a few years ago at neutral sites, uh, that turned out fairly well, but I think Wisconsin, Notre Dame, based on like the regional matchups, um, you know, Notre Dame kind of pulls from the entire Midwest, Wisconsin, obviously has a big footing in the Chicago area as well. So I think that makes a lot of sense. And I, I, I tried to come up with one for Georgia. I, I went with Penn state. Um, you know, I, I think too, like we talked about on the pod last week, two programs that are kind of mirroring each other in yes. terms of how they're ascending both on the field and in recruiting. Um, and like I said last week, I think Georgia's a little bit ahead, but nonetheless, I think that'd be a really fun matchup in, in two really, really cool stadiums to to play, you know, that type of matchup in what would hopefully be a night game. Yeah, definitely. That would be that would be a lot of fun. That those two programs do feel very similar in terms of like where they're at and where, where they've been and where they aspire to be. Um when I thought of um also you know the USC Texas game. It pulls on on the certain heartstring of, of the uh, that great Rose Bowl. Uh, USC Penn State played a great one a couple mm-hmm. years ago, and that was like the the Sam Darnold welcome to the Sam Darnold experience, and also the the Saquon experience um, right. as well. So like that game was a lot of fun. So those two teams I, I think would would make for it anytime that you can kind of call back on on like a great bowl game and, and have them still be mm-hmm. like relevant programs like i don't know that that's that's kind of a, a fun footing to to go off of for for those but yeah I, I totally agree as far as uh wisconsin notre dame being the most like high profile one that makes the most sense for for wisconsin because you know you're in the big 10 already so like ohio state and michigan and stuff like that just d- doesn't make sense obviously uh but how can you get a another big name program in the midwest well it would obviously be notre dame and and i think it's cool um to be playing one of those games at lambeau soldier field not as cool as as notre dame stadium in my opinion but you know you got to keep it even and you know otherwise you'd have to do the the wisconsin leg of that at camp randall but either way um i think that 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 is going to be a very fun little series i have to say i didn't love notre dame stadium i i I, I get the history behind it. I think, you know, the, the surrounding area, you know, with the, the touchdown Jesus building in the background, like obviously you, you respect the history, but I, I didn't love the, and I think they've amended this since, but at the time I was there, there was not a jumbotron and there was no replay. So if you're not sitting in a great seat, which believe it or not, me as a then like one year out of college person, oh, did yeah. not have a great seat. Mm-hmm. Um, it was really, really confusing because it, unless you're like locked in on every single play and probably a hundred percent sober, it was it was just tough to keep up, you know, and there's, as usual, terrible cell service in the stadium. So, you know, my friends and I keep, you know, we'd look away for a play or, you know, you just kind of miss something and that's that. Yeah, you just, there's no, I don't know. It was interesting. It was, it was a fun way to watch a game. Not Maybe not something I'd want to do week in and week out. Okay, that's fair. Um, they, they have uh, boosted it, but uh, um, in terms of like the game day experience, but 
Uh, I think that a lot of that is to the chagrin of, right. of the Notre Dame faithful. They don't like that there's new stuff in there. <laughs> they basically just like fastened a high school, like a rural high school scoreboard at the top of each one. And they're like, all right, good luck. Just squint at that and that'll tell you all you need to know. Yep. And the little, little like graphic of mm-hmm. the referee holding up the touchdown yes, or something exactly. when there's a score. <laughs> it yeah. Was, yeah. It was a lot like playing Madden 97 on PC. <laughs> so uh, I was listening to the the cover three podcast uh cbs sports and you know i don't i don't want to just blatantly rip off what they were talking about but i thought it was a really interesting point that was brought up on a recent episode they were talking about whether ohio state has underachieved over the last two decades and i think on the surface you're like no they're basically in the playoffs or right there every single year they have two national titles in that span including one within the last six years uh obviously plenty of nfl talent plenty of iconic players uh, but the case was that the way that they've recruited, they should be in the same position that essentially Alabama is, or or even Clemson. I think has probably surpassed Ohio State in the hierarchy at least over the last uh, the last ten year set. Obviously, of the um, playoff era, definitely right in the playoff era. I think that's the better way to put it. Uh, so I think Ohio State is maybe maybe a little bit closer to like the Oklahoma level than it is the Alabama Clemson level, which is the, both those programs are operating at the highest level that we've really ever seen. I think, I think that's fair to say, maybe not, maybe not better than any other historic team, but in Alabama, especially in terms of the consistency, sure. I think it's been like eight or nine straight years. They've been ranked number one at some point, which is just insane. I mean, if you look at the, the like season by season breakdown for other great programs, there's still years where you slip up. There's a year where you go nine and three, or you have an injury and Bama's had some of those things happen and it, it just hasn't mattered. Like whether yep. it's at the start or the end, they're, they're always number one at some point. Um, but has Ohio State, based on how it's recruited, based on the number of playoff berths that it has, is it fair to say that that team has underachieved? I think if you gave a diehard Ohio State fan some truth serum and and uh, hooked them up to a lie detector yeah. test, they'd probably they probably like would fight you at first on it. But I think at the end of the day, they probably feel like they should have more than just two titles um, since the turn of the century and, and only one of of the uh, college football. Uh, playoff era um they were they were they were the best team in 2014 they were a little bit fortuitous to to get into the playoff like i don't think they were considered the best team until they won it right like weren't they the four seed they were the four seed they had to sneak in um but they i watched them a lot that year and I, i did feel convinced that they were the best um but still like but either way um you look at that they have they so they won the first of the uh, college football playoff era national titles haven't won one since they've been back a few times gotten embarrassed a couple times uh that that clemson game in 2016 was like i could not believe how how poorly that went um that sort of thing uh this past year that the obvious heartbreaker where they kind of blew it against clemson i thought they, there is really no reason for them to lose that one and i think I think they would have put up as good of of an effort against LSU. I don't think anyone was was beating LSU that this year type of thing, but they, they would have put up a, mm-hmm. a good fight. Um, yeah, it's just unlike Oklahoma, I think that Ohio State has the has one part of the championship uh, blueprint that Oklahoma doesn't on a consistent basis, and that's a dominant defensive line. Mm-hmm. Uh, they they always seem to have. Uh, you know, they're always turning over elite edge edge rushers that, you know, go the Bosa brothers and uh, obviously Chase, Chase Young, uh, those type of guys. So they have that other element that Oklahoma, I think, 
if you look at them, that that's kind of like the missing piece for them is having a defense that mm-hmm. can hold up um, because otherwise they're just going to get run over by SEC teams right. or, or blown away one way or the other. Ohio State can hang uh, because they have such good personnel on, on the defensive side of the ball. And I mean, that's been part, a huge part, especially before Alabama joined the kind of offensive revolution. They just beat you by having a better front, like a, a front seven that would basically win the game for them. Um, so Ohio State has that and they, they still um, and they've had elite quarterback play, insane running back talent, insane receiving cores, um, good offensive lines, good to great offensive lines over that mm-hmm. span. So they've had all the pieces have been there. Um, and, you know, now it, it all kind of comes down to this coming season where like, man, if they don't get one with Justin Fields, like that's that's right. going to sting a little bit Should because he kept Tate Martell. <laughs> right. Uh, the man. But I, I, th- I think that by the end of this season, there will probably be an argument that Justin Fields is like the best quarterback to ever play at Ohio State, whether yeah. or not he he wins the Heisman. Um, but you know, they're, you're going to have to beat Clemson to do it. I think. Yeah, I mean, that's. I think the quarterback coach that he works with over the summers, you know, just came out this past week and said he's the most talented player I've ever ever worked with in all my years, which isn't all that surprising. Um, but we'll see. I mean. Troy Smith might have something to say about that. Joe Bowserman might have something to say about <laughs> Craig that. Craig Krenzel. Craig Krenzel. Uh, national, he, he won the, the title for them he did. in the 2000s, right? Yeah. Uh, I misspoke earlier, by the way. Alabama has been ranked number one at some point in each of the last 12 years. <laughs> oh my that gosh. is unbelievable. And they finished within the in the top 10 in the AP postseason poll all 12 of those years. And you didn't you say also that um, they have not lost a single game to an unranked opponent since oh, 2007? Yeah, yeah, so this, Ohio was, State this has was a, a note few of that those. was on that. It was on the cover three pod. I can't take credit for this. But this is, yeah, this this stat is what sparked my interest in this. And I, I think I I was driving at the time and I like made a point. I'm like, I, I need to te- text this to John right now before I forget. Um, what was it? I want to find it so I can say it right. Um, yes, Alabama has not lost to an unranked opponent since 2007. Which, you know, at first you're like, okay, that, that seems reasonable. Like, the when they lose it's usually to an auburn or you know another really good team that that and you know 13 years for that kind of program makes sense what really put it into context is and we're not trying to bash ohio state i think this is more just how unbelievable alabama's been ohio state has nine unranked losses since 2007 that's crazy but nine. when you when you like, compare I don't that to losing once like ever and when they do lose it like nine times yeah right so i mean uh i guess there was like that mini run i guess 27 and 2018 where they had the head scratchers they lost yeah. to they lost to purdue they got blown out right yep. and then uh there was the game where uh, jt barrett threw a bunch of picks to that one in iowa, iowa. Yeah, yeah, yeah to the iowa cornerback I, I don't know if he's good in the nfl or not but man he'll, he'll always have that he had like three <laughs> picks against him um but yeah, like just like absolutely resounding defeats that yeah. to unranked opponents or something like that is just that's always the the crazy head scratching part about when Ohio State falls and then you know by comparison like I feel like there's an equal level of freak out usually when Alabama loses but then you you recontextualize it and mm-hmm. it's like it's it's crazy that they lost a game in which they were maybe favored by two touchdowns or something but like it was still like the number 11th ranked Ole yeah. Miss Rebels or, or something exactly. like that. So you, ha- you have to like actually frame it in terms of what quality they were yep. going against. So to be fair to Ohio State, four of those nine losses did come in 2011 um, during the, the Luke Fickle experience, uh, you know, kind of the transitional year for that program. They lost uh, at Miami to Michigan State, at Purdue, and in the Gator Bowl against Florida. So 
at least like three of those are still pretty excusable losses, even if they're unranked. Yeah, that's true. Um, so yeah, if so, if you take there were three that year, you said four, four. Okay, so frame it another way: like five of their really legitimate season or five unranked losses in their legitimate season since yeah. 2007 so or so. Like so 12 years. that that changes it a little bit, but yeah, they they've still. They've had that penchant for screwing up, and I feel like um, right. the, they've been punished by the committee for that, I think, at least in, in 2017 and 2018 uh, f- for that. Um, and I think also maybe that they're paying a little bit for the sins of, the, of their 2016 playoff appearance right. as well. And I don't think that they uh, are, are serving that same punishment anymore. Um, mm-hmm. But at, at the same time, like, I think that did help describe why they, why they were left out the playoff those couple of years. Yeah, my take they're not or they have not underachieved i think alabama and clemson have set an unrealistic standard okay. for pretty much every other school i i would compare this to these are the same people that say and this i almost partially agree with though but the heat over or underachieved in miami only winning two titles and going you know they went to four finals one two but you look at the rosters and you think well they, they definitely should have won in 2011 um but then there's a case to be made that they probably should have lost in 2013 like you, you start playing that game back and forth yeah yeah um so, yeah, I mean, you, you could kind of make the case either way. But look, if you won two national titles in the last 20 years, well, Alabama's been on this run. Um, and even, you know, I mentioned Ohio State, I think in the in the last 20 years, Ohio State's been ranked number one five times. So five, five out of 20 seasons at some point. The reason that they probably haven't is because they've been like two or three all those years and Alabama's been number one. You know, I, yep. I think it's just more overachieving um, by by those by those two programs at the top. That's definitely a fair point. I mean, yeah, what what? Uh, Bama and and now what Clemson have been doing in in recent years has been it's there's only one number one spot you know at at the end of the day so right. it, it's that's that's a fact a lot of people forget that <laughs> yeah, right you know a lot of people are counting it twice we haven't seen the AP uh, give out two number ones in a while <laughs> but yeah it's just it's hard it's hard <laughs> to get there especially when you get uh, when you get Bama and Clemson uh, standing in your way but Ohio State definitely I, I view them like i view all three of those really in the same tier when it when it comes yeah. down to it and i think that that's the clear first tier and i don't think anyone's in there yet and i don't think anyone there are a couple of teams knocking but you know they, they have a ways to go that they, they have to rack multiple yeah. national titles to be considered in that same breath i just feel like i'm not in a position to talk when wisconsin has not been number one since 1952 that's when they were a member of the western conference and their coach was ivy williamson <laughs> so there's a name put that in context yeah um all right where else do you want to go here we got like we said there's not a lot of news going on um we kind of just have a grab bag of topics um but i think we have time for one or two more so uh, i'll let you reach in and and direct us wherever you want to go uh let's get into some uh big 10 all decade team stuff uh the uh, the big 10 network released their list uh recently um i don't know if we, if we're going to have the authority of of doing like our number our second team right guards necessarily i mean speak for yourself yeah no i I don't mean to uh to overstep my bounds there but um as far as quarterbacks uh receivers and and running backs go i feel like we could we could uh throw a little something together here i think for me for the for the all decade um, I think it's a mix of long longevity and winning uh, versus like winning at the at the highest level type of thing. Um, I think JT Barrett probably gets it for me um, for first team. Um, he just he was the the catalyst of of that 2014 team. Obviously, Cardell Jones took over after he broke his ankle, but Barrett was also just 
really consistent. You know, I think he was undefeated against Michigan, although he got injured in that one Michigan game. Who isn't, am I right? <laughs> Seriously, though. Um, he just, you know, uh, uh, like the classic Ohio State dual threat guy. So I think that he was – he was probably the best Big Ten quarterback of, of this past decade, in my mind. Um, as far as like running backs go, I say Jonathan Taylor and, and Zeke. Um, Jonathan Taylor had over 6,000 rushing yards. Uh, no one else over this decade, or only one other guy had more than 5,000, and that was Justin Jackson, and that was in mm-hmm. 10 more games than, than Jonathan Taylor. So um, that just speaks volumes about like how dominant he was, even in a short-ish uh, mm-hmm. span. So he, he was unbelievable. I uh, love JT. I know you do as well. And then, um, and then Zeke, I think was, I can't think of this decade in big 10 football and not think of Zeke with the midriff, uh, running through the heart of Alabama in, in the, uh, in that, uh, inaugural college football playoff game. Um, what else? I mean, that his game against Michigan State, where Urban Meyer just kind of forgot about him, that was that was bizarre, and and Ohio, that ended up costing Ohio State that game, and then Michigan State ended up making the playoff that year mm-hmm. um, as a result of that. So Zeke was was really a, a linchpin and and kind of like the the guy that set the direction for those Ohio State teams in 2014 yep. and 2015. Um, so yeah, I I can't think of this decade w- without without him number one. But there there's some other great. Yeah. Uh, Big Ten's been rich in in great running back talent over over the last decade, and some, some of my other like pet favorites, uh, guys that weren't you know in serious consideration for this, but like I love David Cobb. He was just like this big galoot that just would rack up like crazy amounts yeah, of touchdowns. He was, he was the Fournette of the Big Ten. Yes, he was. Um, Tevin Coleman, uh, just baller, just gashing people. Like he was, you know. I think seven yards a carry for his career or something like for that. Most conferences, he would be at least a shoe in for second team. Yeah. It's just the depth of position is crazy. And we should say, um, just to clarify. So the, the skill position or the positions that we're going to focus on for the first team by big 10 network were Barrett at quarterback, Jonathan Taylor, Saquon Barkley at running back, Allen Robinson, Tyler Johnson at receiver, uh, and Jake, Butt at tight end. So that was the first team. Okay. All right. That, that, that adds up. So you but- think you, you would go Zeke over Saquon? I would, I would. Uh, Saquon had, had a great run as well, and he there's definitely a legitimate argu- legitimate argument for him being uh, first. And I forget exactly who ended up having more like Heisman ballots. I don't think either of them were finalists, were they? Though I think Saquon might have been. I feel like there was there was a time when Saquon was like for a couple weeks was like the leader. Like when he ran the kickback against Ohio yes. State, that was like. Man, lock it up and throw and throw away the key, and then right. Penn State blew that game, and then uh, it just wasn't the same for Saquon the the rest of that year. But um, no, nah, he he's definitely worthy uh, of uh, of consideration for that. It, it was hard to pick against him, and then oh yeah, a couple of my other favorites, uh, Reggie Corbin and, and Ty Johnson, just a couple of, of explosive guys yeah. um, at, at at kind of the the lower level uh, lower level Big Ten schools that that need a little love. So second team, Dwayne Haskins at quarterback, Zeke and Melvin Gordon at running back, Rondale Moore and Jared Aberderis sneaking on as a second receiver. Aberderis had kind of crazy numbers. Like he I, did. I looked it up over the last decade. Was he like second or third in, in receiving yards? Maybe he might have even been me. first. He played forever. Um, it made, made a ton of big plays too. He was always the guy when it seemed, you know, if Wisconsin's in a close game and it's third and 12 with three minutes left, like he's always the guy who would get open or would make a contested catch or, you know, basically do whatever um, to, to, to kind of keep them in games when, when the talent level was a little bit lower at the start of the decade. 
I just, it just seems like between the rest of the conference, there should be somebody better than him, but you know, maybe not. Like you said, they're, they're basing this more off of production, I think, than, than like name value or recruiting value or anything like that, or, you know, NFL production. Um, but yeah, I was surprised to see him make second team. Yes. I, I think that, um, when you, when you're looking at the, at the receiver position, I think Devin Smith deserved a little bit more credit than, than what he got. Devin Smith was ridiculous at Ohio state. Yeah. And I think he had like a career, uh, catch average of like about 20 yards a catch. So just like every yeah. time he caught it, it was just like a huge play. Yeah. Um, and he had a ton of touchdowns. Um, things obviously didn't work out for him in the NFL. I think he had a, a pretty rough leg injury early on in his, in his career at the jets, but man, as far as like deep threats go and, and, uh, his best season was that Ohio State uh, playoff, that first playoff run, mm-hmm. and that was the first year that I like covered the Big Ten for for RotoWire. So like that's that was like kind of my first real introduction to to like paying a close attention to Big Ten football. And you know, I was always looking forward to seeing what Devin Smith was going to do because yeah. it was probably crazy. I don't want to spend, excuse me, too much time on the defensive side of the ball, but. I mean, the talent there is almost more impressive, and I think maybe even a little bit deeper. Like, you look at the defensive line uh, for, for the Big Ten Network's team, Chase Young, Joey Bosa, J.J. Watt, Ryan Kerrigan. Oh, man, and Ryan Kerrigan had the hair, too. Yeah. Look yeah, at that picture. His photo looks like five years older than everyone else's on this. <laughs> yeah, like, like the 30-year-old cast in a high yeah. school movie or something. Yeah. Right. Um, <laughs> But no, that that D line that goes up against anybody. Like I, I would probably put that up up against whatever the SECs or, or oh, yeah. the Pac twelves would have been because that is that's preposterous amount of both like college dominance and also you know right. at future NFL ridiculous success as well. Yeah, I, I mean Nick Bosa is a second teamer. That says a lot. You know, Whitney Merciless is a second teamer. Um, Ryan Chazier is a second teamer. T.J. Watt, uh, Michael Mowdy, who is the ultimate college linebacker. Yes, is a second dude. Teamer. <laughs> Michael Mount, yeah, just like he was Penn State, right? Wasn't he? Yeah, wasn't he the guy who like stuck around and like made a big deal out of like saving the program and not transferring? Uh, almost certainly. Yeah. I yeah. remember like really not liking that guy for most of my <laughs> college years. Um, all right, let's see. We got. I think we have time to hit probably one more thing real okay. quickly before we we get booted out of the studio. Um, coaches who are low key on the hot seat, not high key, low key. Um, you put together a little bit of a list. I, I just threw out Gus Malzahn, you know, as just the kind of free space. Like we have to touch on this. He is on the hot that, seat. That's like always. the inception. Uh, that's your token, token? right? Yeah, yeah. 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 So you just that, spin Gus Malzahn, and if he if he topples over, then you know you're in in the real world. Yes, precisely. Yeah. So that and if if he's not on the hot seat, like then you know that you're you're in a simulation. Yes, exactly. you're, you're in the third level spinning. of the dream. Um, who else is on your list? You know, guys who. I think if we if we you know go through all 120 plus teams, we could come up with a few really obvious ones. Whether it's for lack of performance or just contract situation, things like that. Um, but who are guys who? And this happens year after year. You know, the the way that contracts are often structured, it makes it you know a really difficult pill to swallow to fire someone a year or two into a five or six year contract. But you know, who are some guys who you think you wouldn't be shocked if things go south this year or whenever the season happens? If that school is willing to pull the plug, maybe a year or two before you know they would prefer to for financial reasons, right? So I, I think the first one that, that comes to my mind in terms of like big program, maybe not uh, on that tier one of being on the hot seat coming into this season, but um, definitely you know it it's smoldering underneath there. It's Tom Herman, I think. Um, we're looking at a situation now where 
if this season doesn't go well, then he, I don't think he's getting fired, but unless it like is like disastrous. Um, but I do feel like he would enter next season, like as one of those like tier one hot seat guys, because we're going into a year where he has a fourth year starter in Sam Ellinger. And you look the really, they have, they only have to measure themselves against Oklahoma. I think as far as like true, like title aspirations or winning the big 12, um, that's who they compare themselves against to And Oklahoma for the first time in a while is going with a quarterback that, uh, they groomed themselves that, um, uh, what wasn't like a highly touted like transfer that that has some experience like this is a true sophomore that that lincoln riley brought in so that there's going to be a bit of a test there and they they lost a fair bit um on the defensive side of the ball that this year with with kenneth murray and neville gallimore being gone a couple other guys um leaving oklahoma um their offensive line's always always really good they don't have trey sermon although kennedy brooks is pretty good either way Oklahoma is good, but they're vulnerable. And I think especially when you put it in the context of how experienced Texas is across the board, um, they did lose DuVernay and, and Colin Johnson, but that kind of gets smoothed over with the way that they've been recruiting. They still have Brennan Eagles. They still have Jake Smith and they, they have Sam Ellinger. And I think that that, that is like the biggest trump card that, that they have. And if they don't win the big 12 this year, I think it's pro- they probably look at it as a, as a disappointment and and one to where they're mm-hmm. they have to start questioning whether Tom Herman's going to be the guy that that brings them over the hump and gets them into the playoff. That one would be shocking, you know. Some of the other names you have down here, like Kevin Sumlin, you know, he's kind of been on like a slow decline um, for the last five or six years here. Chip Kelly, obviously, been on even more of a steep decline, uh, but Herman. It, it was just universally viewed as such a lock that this was the guy. Like, there's no possible way this could fail. He's, you know, he's won everywhere he's been. He's a great recruiter. He just kind of seemed like a Texas coach. Like, everything about him seemed so perfect. And I, I, st- I still think there's a pretty good chance that this does end, end, you know, the way that Texas thought it would when they hired him. But it certainly hasn't gone as smoothly as I thought so far. And I'm just surprised. I mean, it, it, I, I didn't see one person like say one bad thing about that hire at the time. No, of course not. And, and you know, the early returns were, were pretty strong. Like tw- 2017 might not have been great, but like uh, 2018, especially like the momentum that they ended on with like a pretty like resounding win over Georgia in the Sugar Bowl. Uh, it's like, okay, like what, you know, what does this next step look like uh, for OU and, or I'm sorry, for Texas. And last year kind of was, I think a, a half step backwards. Yep. Um, all, all things considered, that they, they lost some some tough games, and they also, um, I mean, they almost lost to Kansas too, which I, I, I know we, we, we were paying our respects to Kansas earlier on, but uh, Texas should not be goofing around uh, in the, in that end of the pool. So, um, no, I, I just feel like Texas, based on their on their expectations, and given where Oklahoma might be due for a backslide this year. Um, Texas, I think, needs to strike while while the iron's hot, especially mm-hmm. while, while you have you know one of the better quarterbacks in your program's history um, in his final season. I think you got to get it done here. The, so the the pressure's on. The, the seat isn't hot, but the pressure's on. All right, man. Got any parting shots? Um, I also want to wonder aloud what Nebraska, what the Nebraska faithful thinks. Mm. Uh, if Scott Frost doesn't even get them bowl eligible again this year, I, I think that like they excused the first year, the, the 2018 year, because th- there was like such a big uh, transition from from the guys. Uh, 
whoever the was it Mike Riley was their last yeah. coach um, from him to to Frost and you know Frost like oh they're, he's got to like get his guys in here he's got to have some time uh, now we're now we're entering year three and year two was disastrous I think I think that <laughs> that Ohio State game on that Saturday night last year was a real like wake up call as to where they actually are in in the yeah. pecking order um, and the rest of the year didn't go great obviously either so if Frost can't even get them bowl eligible this year um, I think that they that Nebraska fans I don't know how they can really view it as getting uh, what avenues there are to get better sort of like a, a junior version of Michigan yeah. where it's like that okay we have our guy but but he's not not quite getting us to where we're we're supposed to be right or where we have in our minds yep. we're supposed to be um and it all starts with recruiting uh, and they, they've done good but not great jobs with, with recruiting that that type of thing but either way um a, another bad year from Nebraska I think is going to uh cause a lot of uh nihilism on, among the Cornhusker fan base that's another one much like Tom Herman where as soon as Scott Frost was hired it was just automatic all right this team was what four and eight last year they're probably going to go like 12 and two now um they see that as like a lock and yeah they were like the college football cleveland browns right like i think partial part of it is scott frost was maybe a little bit overrated probably um but part of it was just the expectations there was no reason to believe that a team that has one one season where they finished inside the top 15 since 2001 i I just it's not like that like the thing with texas was always like we have the athletes we're recruiting as well as we ever have something's just not clicking with Nebraska, I didn't get that same feel. It, it didn't feel like somebody just needed to come and unlock the talent. Like they need years and years of talent to build that program back up. They do, they do, and uh, you know, I think that there's like an, an extra bit of of disappointment where like Nebraska puts so much into its football program, and you have a guy that's coming over that that found his way in, into you know turning UCF from a, a 0 and 12 team into a 13 and 0 or 14 and 0 yeah. whatever it was undefeated team it's like okay well you know if he if he can have that kind of turnaround at central florida like we're going to give him everything right. to to make it work here at nebraska and i know that nebraska doesn't have that natural recruiting advantage but i mean it's it's easier to recruit there than it is central florida as far as like getting four stars and stuff well, i forgot so. to mention central florida when we were talking about alabama and clemson that's that's on me <laughs> see you know, exactly they, they're one of those teams that just sets an unrealistic standard but i mean yeah nebraska yeah if if this year doesn't go well then uh there, there will be some some questions asked uh, i think but mm-hmm. uh that it could almost be that a thing where they're like stuck in a bad marriage with them yeah it does seem to be heading that way all right man this is fun uh we'll try to get back on the air next week i will be heading out west for the rest of the week so i'm, I'm really travels. hoping that my, my tan is in possibly it's infantile stages right now there's a chance that when you see me next week i'm three to four shades darker oh my goodness i don't know if i can handle that i'm all right so you know challenge accepted i'm gonna have to uh yeah get to the lake immediately yes start bronzing this is the story of the one as head of maintenance at a concert hall he knows the show must always go on that's why he works behind the scenes Ensuring every light is working, the HVAC is humming, and his facility shines. With Granger's supplies and solutions for every challenge he faces, plus 24-7 customer support, his venue never misses a beat. Call quickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger, for the ones who get it done.